0: Welcome to the Sequoia Breeze Podcast, a breath of fresh air for your homeschool. I am your host, Rebecca Lasavio. Thank you for joining us, and welcome back to part two of talking about how the Myers Briggs personality test can enhance your homeschool and help you in your relationships in your home. Karen Drager is back with us, and I'm really excited to hear about all the information that she has to share with us today to help us as we get to know ourselves and our kids better. Hi, Karen. Welcome back. Hey, it's
1: good to be back. I'm glad to be sharing again with you guys. So,
0: Um, yeah, go ahead. Where do we start from here?
1: Um, So last time we were together, we talked about um, the Myers-Briggs personality test. And we also talked about the background of Catherine Briggs and Isabel Briggs Myers, or Myers-Briggs. And it was a mother-daughter team who was a homeschool team that lived. She was born before 1900, so she was turn of the century and kind of a progressive thinker. So that was kind of an interesting thing to learn about. And then we talked about the Myers-Briggs type indicator test and the subtypes and how it kind of sorts you out and puts you into um, different personality types. And um, there's 16 types of personalities according to the test, but then there's four subtypes. So we went kind of through the main points of each subtype and what it might look like and in your life and in your role as a spouse and as a mom and a homeschool teacher and even what your house look, might look like. Um, like some of the types tend to be a little bit neater than others and things like that. So it's kind of interesting. And then today we're going to talk more about your students, your children, and um, and also you as a teacher, but focusing on your children, what their um, strengths are and their weaknesses and how we can show them appreciation according to their Myers-Briggs subtype that we think they might be, and then what types of curriculum might fit their personality and then what type of routine, be like daily routine, that you
0: could kind of look at doing. That sounds like a lot of ground to cover. and. Like, it will be so, so helpful. So I'll say here, instead of going back through all those types to remember, I think if you haven't heard the first episode, go on back and listen to that. I would think you'll find that really valuable. So Karen, dive right in. Tell us where to get started. Okay. So the, sub, the four subtypes that we talked about was the SP,
1: the SJ, the NT, and the NF. And the SP child is the child who is very active and we talked last time about how that that child is kind of seen as the free spirit type of person. They're always looking for a party, always looking for adventure. Sometimes they can be a little bit difficult in the classroom just because it's hard to kind of corral them and make them do what you want them to do because they have a lot of really good ideas. A description of the, the SP child might be a performer, the kind of the class clown type person. They like to entertain. They're fun loving they're uninhibited, they're pretty positive people, they're spontaneous. They really need physical involvement. They do not want to sit there all day at the kitchen table and do, you know, worksheets and things like that. They want to be doing stuff. They like to be appreciated for their clever ways of working. They're very process-oriented, so they like the process of what they're doing. They don't necessarily care about the product or even if they achieve the product, they just want to have fun with what they're doing and learn what they can learn from it. They do not like being told how to work and they don't
0: care if they're doing things the way they're supposed to be done.
1: This sounds like a
0: personality that might be misunderstood often.
1: I think it could be someone who's misunderstood, like maybe seen as a troublemaker in a class, you know, like someone who just doesn't play by the rules, which can be a little irritating to a teacher um, if you're not careful. So, you know, some of us moms who have that free spirit in our home, they can be kind of difficult to understand. But you do have to be careful because they're very sensitive people and, you know, you don't want to hurt their feelings or, you know, tear down their spirit either. You want to encourage them to be who they are. Who they want to be and to um, grow their potential for sure. The weaknesses they have, they, they, sometimes they don't follow through. Sometimes they're not prepared because they just haven't thought about being prepared. <laughs> it's not that important to them. <laughs> they can be a little careless with the details. So what type of curriculum might fit this type of student? And this is just me Coming from my personal background um, and what I did with my kids when I was homeschooling, I tried a lot of different curriculum and also just the families that I work with as an HST and what I see them do. For the SP, I think that type of child would do really well with um, unit studies, of course, because you can take a unit study and you can let them springboard into different topics that they're interested in. And they're going to learn a whole lot that way if they're able to just take their own initiative and run with it. For math, I suggested Matthew C, and the reason I did that is because in Matthew C, you use blocks and manipulatives for almost everything that you do. So it's very hands-on, which I think would be helpful. It might keep their interest a little bit better than some of the other math programs. Story of the World, I was also thinking of for history because Story of the World is also lots of hands-on projects. And you can do them together as a family. So the SP is going to be very interested in that interaction and um, being able to do things like Egypt. You make a mud brick in Egypt, the Egyptian unit, and you embalm a chicken carcass. You know, those kind of things that you do with story of the world would really interest them. And then for grammar, that's always kind of a bummer for, you know, this type of child. They're not really interested in grammar and that kind of thing. So I thought maybe a curriculum like growing with grammar, you know, soaring with spelling. Um, It's a very easy curriculum to follow. You do one page a day um, and it's very simple. So they just have to get it done and move on with their life. I would sample routine for the SP, and again, this is just me thinking through what I would do with a child like this. I would probably not start my day at 8 a.m. first thing in the morning. I would not make them do schoolwork because they're going to have a lot of ideas of what they want to do with their day themselves, and it does not revolve around school. So I would probably give my child um, an hour or so to just goof off, have fun, do whatever they want to do. And then maybe about 10 o'clock is when you start your school day or 930. And then I would do like a maybe a short math lesson, take a break, go for a walk, spend family time together, and then do a short language arts lesson and then have lunch and then do your science and social studies in the afternoon. So you're kind of breaking it up a lot. And then maybe you have the whole afternoon for them to do what they want to do. And then at the end of the day, you come back around and you do math again and you do language arts again. So you don't do like a whole hour long lesson of math or language arts because you're going to lose them halfway through anyway. You might want to do just a 20 minute, 30 minute lesson, but then come back around at night and do it again before
0: bed and kind of reinforce what you started learning in the morning. I hear you giving a lot of out of the box suggestions for this kid. Um, Yes, And my hunch is if a parent has this kid, they might be pulling their hair out. And that hearing this idea of spreading school out throughout the day and knowing that's okay to to do that and having these ideas of allowing, allowing a natural rhythm that beats within their child to come out and make school more successful could be a really big relief.
1: Yes, definitely. And the child, you know, going to the park to do school, Oh my goodness, that saved my life so many times. We did the we did school at the park a lot because um, my child was very uh, headstrong and she had she also had disabilities, so that kind of got in the way sometimes. And she was happier at the park, but we would go to the park and do math. And for some reason, math is just a lot more fun at the park. I don't know why, but it worked <laughs> for us. <laughs> so those kind of things work too. You have to be a little creative. Um, some it. children, some children work better um, in the swings. Like I would put my daughters in the swing, and we would learn our letters and our vowel sounds. And she remembered them so much better swinging than if she wasn't swinging. So we would always do our phonics in um, the swing every day for. Probably two years we did that, and it worked like a charm. What a fun idea. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes the movement, you know, helps them remember these children that have a hard time picking up on phonics, on letter sounds. Sometimes that, it just works really well. Okay, the SJ is the next one, and the SJ is the student who's kind of the fits the mold type of student. There's not really any problem. They like to do worksheets. They like to do school. They can work independently pretty well. They don't necessarily have to be part of a group. It's kind of the ideal student (laughs) that every teacher, you know, thinks that they might want in their classroom. And then they have a big sense of responsibility, sense of duty. They tend to want to be the helper for other kids. So they come along, they have kind of that maternal instinct if they see someone who needs help. They like to be part of a group, but they don't have to be. They're pretty intrinsically motivated and they're pretty, st- they, they need stability. They need a lot of consistency. So this child is not going to do as well if they're ditching lesson plans and go into the park one day or the day seems to be a little unorganized. They're going to want to be up and ready to go and have the same type of a schedule pretty much every single day. Or at least have, you know, some notice if it's not going to be that day, the same that day. And then appreciation, they like to be recognized for how careful they are and how accurate they are. They're very product oriented. So they pay attention to those details and they want you to know that they do. They get really irritated if kids don't follow the rules. If there's a sibling who's not following the rules, that's going to be a real problem to them and they're going to want that to be taken care of right away. And they also don't like it if people don't meet deadlines. So if they don't pay, you know, play by the rules, that can be a distraction to them. They can be a bit negative um, just because those little details do kind of get under their skin. Sometimes they can be sarcastic. So that might be an older child, not a younger child, but they can tend to be a little more in the sarcastic mode. SJ curriculum Saxon math would be a good one for this type of child um, because Saxon math is very repetitive. It's very consistent every day. You know, it kind of looks the same, which, you know, some people might think that's a little bit dry and boring. But other children like the SJ, they're going to really be drawn to this type of thing where they know what to expect. They can get it done and um, they know that they're you know that they're covering all the concepts. Um, also, I thought of Bookshark. And Bookshark is um, an integrated around literature. So, you know, you do have some of that family involvement where you all can read aloud. But Bookshark definitely gives you lesson plans every day that you have to follow. And you have to follow their schedule. And you have to kind of have the same routines every single day. Um, And you don't really want to get behind in Bookshark because then you're going to be a little bit panicked because you'll have to, you know, figure out how to catch up. But um, if you're somebody who does well with the day-to-day, every day is the same kind of consistency, and your child needs that, then, you know, Bookshark might be a really good one for you. Another one might be um, Bright Thinker paper, the workbooks, uh, or not workbooks, but they come in little booklets. And um, Bright Thinker is really great, has a lot of writing. It's a very writing-intensive program, but it's very comprehensive, um, and it'll carry you all the way up through high school if you want to do Bright Thinker because it's a, um, approved by our schools, um, the curriculum is, so AG approved. So Bright Thinker is a great one. And then I thought of Institute for the Excellence in Writing, which is a good writing program. And also they have grammar components in there as well. And the reason that I chose that one is because you have, um, it's a pretty rigorous everyday type of thing, and they have a cert- a definite method that you follow um, step by step. And boy, I mean, you really can crank out some good writers because it's a good program, but you definitely have to pay attention to the details and be on top of your routine. And then a regular routine, homeschool routine for this type of child. You know, a lot of uh, families kind of like the idea of doing school at home because, you know, that's what you would do if you were in the classroom. And I can remember trying that when I was first homeschooling, like, oh, okay, we're going to do eight to 12 you know, have a little recess break and, you know, stuff like that. This child might actually do well with that type of routine where they get up and they get going at eight in the morning. They have, you know, their math, their language arts, a little break, lunch.
0: I think that would work out, you know, pretty well for this type of child. Those two types of kids that you've talked about so far sound about as opposite as opposite can be. Yeah, <laughs> they do. And maybe this is better to talk to tackle at the end um, after you've gone through all four types. But I'm already struck with those two routines don't go together. How would you schedule your homeschool if you had both of those personalities in your home?
1: Yeah, it's tricky. I think maybe we should
0: get to the end of
1: all four. Let's do the okay. next
0: two, And Let's then we'll talk it.
1: about maybe some ideas for doing that. So the next child would be the NT which is the child who is the manager, the systems person. And we talked about how, you know, as, it, as adults, they're great managers, they're great sci- they're scientists, they're math teachers. As a parent, they like to train their children and all the systems that keep the household moving. Well, the child is very interested in those kind of things as well. They always have a project going on. They're very product-oriented. They're very efficient and very creative. And they usually will have a better idea than you do about how to do things, <laughs> how to um, come up with a way to do something more efficiently. They enjoy being alone. They also, I mean, you know, they they can have friendships and work in groups as well. But they really, they really like to be alone because they like to do things very well and being competent in something matters a lot to them. So um, they're probably going to prefer being alone more than than in a group. They are very positive people. They're ambitious. They want freedom to pursue their interests. They'll do what you want them to do as long as they also have, you know, the freedom to do what they want to do because that's always in the back of their mind. They want to be allowed to make decisions and they have really good ideas. So making, letting them make decisions is a good idea. They like it when people listen to their ideas and they follow their created systems So if they see it actually in work and play a system they've created, they would be really, really happy. They do not like it when they're asked to do something that's illogical, like just do it because I said so. No, that's not going to work for them. (laughs) That's not going to, (laughs) that's not going to fly because they don't see the point. They don't want to follow any rules that don't make sense to them. They can get very focused on kind of splitting hairs, you know, hashing out the details And they can be demanding on themselves and demanding on others. A good curriculum for the NT would be the online curriculum. So Time for Learning is a very comprehensive, it's been around for a long time. It hits all the subjects. Time for Learning is something you can get on and just do on your own. You don't even need your mom around to help you. Excelus is very much the same way. Excelus, you can get on It doesn't take a lot of time. They do little five to 10 minute videos and little short quizzes and it moves at a fast pace. And so it doesn't take a lot, a lot of time during your day and you can do it independently. Bright Thinker Online, you know, it's a little bit more of a tedious curriculum, but you can definitely sit and do it by yourself and you can do it all the way through high school. So that's a bonus. And then Max is the same way. So, I would think in terms of online curriculum, because this student really tends to be drawn towards technology and um, ways to be more efficient. Uh, that's just kind of their brain is um, kind of geared that way. Not everybody, of course, but they tend to be kind of the techie type of person who really likes the gadgets, the apps, those kind of things. And then, as far as setting up the routine, for this child, you know, they're going to be able to set up their routine pretty well themselves. And if you do it for them, they're probably going to have a better idea because they they know how they want their day to look. So I would definitely involve this child in the process of making those decisions for what type of routine to have, because if you don't involve them in the decision-making, they're going to overrule everything anyway. They're not going to like what you do. I would just leave it up to them and make it a group process. You have, you, just, together.
0: you have just described my, one of my kids to a T and it's really interesting because while I'll make a list and tell the others what to do with that one, we've just naturally fallen into a habit of, so what do you think? What should you work on first? Where are you going to go with this and this? And mm-hmm. and then she takes off and is able to, to manage most of her day. But I really, you, it was like, you were talking about her. <laughs> <That's> funny. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's funny how when you get
1: in the descriptions, you just think of certain kiddos. Like I think of my daughter, or I think of my husband, or I think of kid uh-huh. that I have. It's like, oh, that's that, that person right there. The last type is the NF. And the NF student is a people person, very charismatic, idealist. They communicate well with others. They love groups and they like having group activities and decisions. They like to make just like the um, democratically run classroom, you know, where everybody gets a vote and then you decide. They love that kind of thing. They like maternal teachers, so they probably love homeschooling because they really like hanging out with their mom, having someone who's very nurturing, being at home with them. They like a lot of feedback. So if you don't give them feedback, they're not going to feel like they know if they're doing a good job or not. They really want somebody to constantly be there to reassure them and to praise them. Um, and then they will just keep working hard forever. You know, they, they like to have that positive feedback. Um, they like to be appreciated as a unique individual and for their values. They want to be seen for who they are. They don't want to be seen as just another kid, just another person. They want to be seen as, you know, someone who has talents and has something to contribute. Something that irritates them is having their feelings dismissed. And so, if you are kind of uh, if you if you ignore the fact that they're feeling emotional that day, it's probably not going to go well because that's going to really irritate them, and it's probably going to get bigger. So, um, if that child's going to have a meltdown, you probably are going to have to let them have a meltdown. And then when it's all over, you can probably go back to schoolwork, but it's probably not going to work to just say, oh, you know, go sit in the corner and have your meltdown and come back when you're finished. You know, they're going to have to have some acknowledgement for those emotions. So weaknesses of theirs, they can be overly helpful to others when other people might not necessarily want it, like the NT Um, And they can also kind of play favorites. They can help needy. They like are kind of drawn to needy people. So they might always want to be wanting to help, you know, that child who's really needy and needs attention more than they need to be helping that person. Maybe they need to be doing their work instead. And they can't necessarily see that curriculum for this child. So I think naturally about moving beyond the page. I love moving beyond the page. I did it for years with my kids. And I am an NFP or ENFP and my kids are both NF. So that's probably why we all really love this curriculum. Moving beyond the page, you have a different activity every day. It's very creative. You do lots of things together as a family. You sit and read together. You can modify the curriculum easily for learning disabilities Some people kind of complain because it looks like it's a little bit too intensive with the writing, but you can easily take out some of the writing and, you know, skip over certain pages. So I think moving beyond the page is a great one for the NF. Oak Meadow is also one that seems to be a good fit for the NF. It's very nature based and artistic and creative, and you do things together with your family. The types of units that are in it, very out in nature type things, which would be really a great fit. I think lap books would be a great fit for the NF because that's something that you can do together as well. And you can make it look your own. So you could have, you know, you could have 10 children doing the same lap book and they're all going to look different. And the NF is going to love that, how they can make their own unique lap book, you know, where that looks different than their brother and sister. That's going to be their unique contribution and also with lap books, there's a lot of room for springboarding and going and researching a topic that interests you and adding it to your lap book so you can make it unique for sure. And then math, I really like Singapore math. And I did, we tried a lot of different math programs in my house and we landed on Singapore. The main reason for that is because it is laid out so simply and it's colorful and there's not many pro- problems on the page and it seems like it's very doable when you look at it. And um, my girls did really well with Singapore. Also, the lessons are not horribly long. You know, like some of the other ones have kind of long, tedious lessons, and it's pretty short. Which Um, version of Singapore do you like? I really liked, let's see, I did not do the California. I think it was US edition.
0: Okay, thank you.
1: That I did. Yeah, because it was not Common Core aligned. The California one is Common Core aligned. And if you look at if you go to a brighter child and you sit down and you compare the two, I really disliked the US one. It made a lot of sense the way that it was laid out and it was not quite so repetitive. It would which can it can be it can get to be kind of a lot when you have the all of the common core in there. You know, it gets a little bit tedious. So that was my personal opinion though. You'd have to go look. And then the NF daily routine, I you know, I would have Short lessons, um, just because the NF can get really bogged down by complicated lessons, especially in math. So they're not going to be that interested in math. So I would do things, I would have like a long language arts and I probably would start the day with reading because they they really like to read. They really like to be with their family members, starting the day together, hanging out in mom's lap, (laughs) and then maybe move on to math and do a short math lesson. Followed by like a nature walk or something outside. You're all taking a breather. You're regrouping. Lunchtime, you could do a read aloud session. You know, if you don't do that in the morning, do it at lunchtime. We read a lot together. My kids and I did. And we did probably for 10 years, we read books together at lunchtime. And we went through all the classics and everything. And it was just a fabulous time. We had like two hour lunches where we would just sit and read together. And my kids learned a lot that way to get, you know, just through reading all the Little House series and Anna Green Gables and, you know, just all of those great books that you can do together. You are talking
0: my language. Yeah. (laughs) We love to read. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. I just I love reading and I love how much you how much time you have with homeschooling
0: to do that kind of thing. And and I would say too that I think as you've described the NF that you're describing me and probably two of my children, but the other two love to participate in that reading just as much. Mm-hmm. Um, I just need to let one crawl around and the other one needs to, you know, be able to move on and do her thing when we're done, but they all value that part of our day. There will be another podcast about read aloud, reading aloud with your kids. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, and I don't know how many people have told me because both of my children are dyslexic. The, my older one has even more you know, severe learning problems. And I don't know how many special ed teachers, therapists have told me that my kids have a great vocabulary and they have so much animation in their reading. And it's because I read with them so much over the years you know, and boy, that's so good to hear because I just, I did it because I loved reading and I learned that way. Hearing other experts tell me over and over, and it's more than once that they've told me that. Different people have always said, your children just have this great ability to read. Their fluency is better than most children with dyslexia. Their animation Mm. and their voices is better. Their vocabulary is better. And it has to be
0: because you read so much. Oh, that's, such good news and so exciting because it really is a pretty simple thing to do. It is.
1: Yeah, it really is. So what now? Yeah, your question about what do you do if you have children that are not like you, the personalities are total opposite, or you have one child who's the NT and the other child's the NF, you know, what do you do in those situations? Well, I mean, I think the first thing Is that as an educator, you have to try to appeal to all the learning styles, you know, and that's what as teachers, if we're in the classroom and you're dealing with, you know, 20 students that all have different learning styles and personalities where you're going to have to try to appeal to each of them in some way throughout your day. So we know that they're learning. So you do that by seeing, hearing, doing and saying your lessons. You use all your five senses You know, um, you do some of those worksheets, but, you know, hopefully not a lot of worksheets. You do a lot of hands-on things so that um, at some point, hopefully throughout your day, you're hooking each one of your kiddos and you're getting them interested in what you're doing. And then also you can, you need to be extremely flexible. So those children that have the strong personalities, we tend to try to um, control them because, That's kind of our inclination is, oh, no, you're not going to get away with this. You know, I'm going to make you do what I say. Well, that doesn't work because they're just going to butt heads even harder because they want to have their say so. And that seems to be important in their mind at the right, you know, at this point in time. So are you you know, you really have to pick your battles. And I'm not saying let the child be defiant and let the child just flat out disobey you. There are times where you have to put a stop to it, of course. But. Pick your battles with these strong personalities because um, you don't want to die on every single hill. You don't want to have just battles all day long. And so sometimes you as a mom have to be very flexible and probably the siblings do as well because, you know, if you have one child who's a very strong personality, everybody else has to kind of be a little more flexible. It just kind of happens that way. So I would say try to be flexible as a mom and as the homeschooler. And doing what that child, you know, not, not, not too,
0: too much of an extent, but you have to kind of um, figure out what. Find the balance between everything is about them and everything is a battle. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Let them have, let them have a few things their way and other things they need to learn to bend, I would assume as well. Yes. Um, it's, It's easy to plan your day even unconsciously towards the strongest personality because they will make things the hardest if it doesn't go their way. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, we can accidentally leave the other personality types either behind or unheard. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And then um, another thing you can do is working within a framework. So this is something that I learned over the years of homeschooling that I wish I had understood a little better in the beginning. You... And I I believe it was a psychologist that taught it to me because we were um, it was one of my kids counselors. They always had, you know, a school counseling sessions and um, and the counselors were really helpful to me, too. I was I was very thankful for them. But um, somebody taught me that you can have a basic schedule for your homeschool day, but then you can change it up. But don't totally ditch your schedule and your whole everything that you've planned try to have like some flexibility within your schedule within your framework. So for example, you might say, okay, we have to get five language arts lessons done this week. We have to do five math, two science, two social studies and then plan out how you're going to do it. And then if it doesn't happen, you know, don't just ditch the whole week and say, oh, forget it. This week is terrible, which I had a pattern of doing that for a while when I was homeschooling because I would just be like, oh, I can't do it. Forget it. We're going to try again next week. No, you know, you have to figure out how to how to make up for it. So your whole week is not ruined if by Wednesday you haven't stayed on track. You know, you can have a plan B and it's okay. But yet you still need to make sure that you're covering all the concepts throughout the week that you're supposed to be
0: covering, you know, but it doesn't necessarily matter if it looks great every single day. And I think even within that, there can be a a schedule framework. And what happens specifically within those different time slots could maybe change for the kids who need the change up. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. the kids the kids who need the plan know we we work first and then we have a snack and a recess and then we're going to work and we're going to and you know, there's a there's a routine, there's a rhythm to what's happening. Mm-hmm. And the kids who want to change up can do different subjects, perhaps at some of those different times, or everybody right. knows we start out the day with this, but then the next thing might be different. And that's okay, because everybody knows that. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And then the last idea I had was just to give your children jobs that that bring out their strengths, you know, and the great mm-hmm. thing about homeschooling is that We know our students' strengths, you know, so well. And um, if anything, we can do to empower them. So if I had someone in my class who's SP, who's got, you know, that free thinker and that free spirit, I would be giving that person jobs to keep them busy that are helpful, you know, to the classroom. So I would have them sweeping the floor or picking up the trash in the playground, you know, things to keep them busy. Um, not to punish them, but to help, to help them be productive, you know, but things that they can do. Um, and I would do the same thing in the home, you know, give them chores that they're interested in, not just the mundane, you know, day to day thing that they might not. Um, I mean, some of that's important too, but, you know,
0: given things that interest them that they can be really good at. That's really interesting because it's, I think something I've felt, but haven't thought through, I have a little guy who will come up and say, what do I need to do next? Or what, how can I help next? He loves to work. He wants jobs. Uh-huh. And I have another one who is pretty excited if I ask her to organize a drawer or something. But uh-huh. will definitely not react that way for other jobs. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. I guess I hadn't really fully thought through finding the person who's the most enthusiastic for that job. While I firmly believe they all need to know how to do it all, they uh-huh. don't have to be stuck doing the things that they really don't enjoy.
1: Yeah. And I think it just depends on the child. I mean, my personality, I absolutely hate chore charts. I can't think of anything worse. I cannot stand them. (laughs) And I think it's because I don't like doing the little mundane day-to-day tasks. I get very bored with that. As an adult, I've learned to kind of overcome some of that because sometimes you just have to do the laundry or you have to, you know, unload the dishwasher but if you give me a chore chart, my eyes are going to glaze over and I'm going to tune you out. And so if you have a child like that, you can't just try harder to make them pay attention because they really don't enjoy it. So find another way where they can be helpful, but they don't have to be, you know, feeling like they're stuck in that in that box, you know, um, find creative ways to let them do it. Do you have any examples for us for that? Well, making it a group project is helpful or turning on music. Like if I turn mm. on music and I clean mm-hmm. the kitchen, I'm so much happier.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness.
1: Or let them go outside and do the outside chores because that doesn't seem as hard as the inside chores sometimes, you know, and change it up. Don't make them do, you know, someone who's not enjoying vacuuming the floor. Don't make them do it every day. Have them do it one time a week. And if they do it really well, they get a prize or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I think probably the main thing for me personally would be making it a group activity. And I do that with my kids too. I have two teenagers and I have them do the dishwasher together. So they're not stuck doing it by themselves. They have a buddy and we turn on music and we make it more fun
0: and dance around and stuff. That's a great idea. Can you speak for a minute about some tips and tricks about helping these Different personalities coexist peacefully, recognizing each other's strengths and weaknesses.
1: Boy, I mean it changes every every household is different, right? I mean, and everybody has different dynamics. So it's hard to say, like, you know, give like blanket advice for that. But I think that as a parent, you have to acknowledge the positive things in each child, you know, the positive parts about their personalities. And even if you if you have a child who's really difficult and you're just kind of dreading facing the day with that child, and my daughter was that way sometimes, and it often wasn't her fault. It was, you know, physical things or emotional things she was dealing with and her disabilities. And some days I would just dread it. If you can kind of make a list in your mind or on paper of what things are really great about this child. And how can I help them feel better about themselves today? And then try to go about your day with that attitude. You know, like these children are a blessing. They're not something I have to endure. They're a blessing. (laughs) And sometimes it's harder than others, you know. But if you have that type of a focus, maybe that even can be part of the beginning of your day. If you do like a little circle time or read aloud um, in the beginning of your day, you can talk about each other's you know, strengths and what you appreciate about them. And then also making sure they have alone time where we're not necessarily together all the time, every single day. You know, sometimes these kiddos need time to just hang out in their room or to be alone um, and not have the pressure of getting along well with other people. (laughs) <laughs> um, don't we I'm, all <laughs> one of my daughters is very much an introvert and I really don't understand her somehow I, sometimes I think she's speaking a different language like I just I don't get you because I'm an, I'm very much an extrovert and she wants time in her room you know and I would not naturally plan that because I wouldn't even think it was necessary but she mm. has to have it or she mm-hmm. can't function you know so giving them freedom
0: um, mm-hmm. and space and i i suppose trying to articulate some of the differences between siblings can be helpful they're not trying to bug you they think differently they see this situation differently right. or that is harder for her than it is for you and so i would like you to please be patient with that because she's trying you know some of those kinds of things that we aren't all looking at the world the same way and helping our kids understand that about one another can help them begin hopefully, to see each other's strengths and to be patient with each other's weaknesses.
1: Right. That's absolutely true. And sometimes you just have to, you know, sometimes you get to the point where you're, with your kids where you just have to say, you know what, you don't have to like it. You just have to deal with this. So yep. Yep. you, know, you don't necessarily have to like what your brother's doing and you don't actually even have to understand why he's doing what he's doing, but you do have to act responsibly and act in a civilized manner. <laughs> you have to be you have to be nice. <laughs> That's a big Basically.
0: life skill. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's
1: difficult.
0: Well Karen, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of information. It's so much, I think I'm gonna have to listen to all of this again to even absorb it. There were so many things to think about as you were sharing this with us. And we really appreciate that. All of this curriculum that Karen mentioned as she was going through will be listed in the show notes, so you can find some links there. Thank you very much, Karen, for joining us, and we really appreciate your wisdom.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. It was fun.
0: Listeners, can you believe it? This was the final episode of Season 1 of The Sequoia Breeze. It has been such a pleasure to have you join me on this adventure. While you're waiting for Season 2 to be released in the fall, would you do something? I would love to hear from you. Which was your favorite episode? What did you learn from the podcast? What topic would you like to hear more about in the future? Did anything you heard bring up questions you'd like to discuss? Send me an email at podcasts at sequoiagrove.org. You've heard from me for the last nine weeks. It would be such a treat to hear from you. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so, so you'll be sure not to miss Season 2 of The Sequoia Breeze. Until then, I am your host, Rebecca Lasavio.